Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. I'm Veronica Ambuel, Director of Communications for the Diocese of Colorado Springs, and I'm joined today by Deacon Doug Flynn, who's the Chancellor and General Counsel for the Diocese, and Deacon Patrick Jones, who's an award-winning author of Catholic fiction and the founder of Catholic Halos. Uh, before we get into our topic today, Deacon Patrick, will you lead us in an opening prayer? In nomine Patris, et Filii, Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum. Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui, Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc et in ora mortis nostrae. Amen. So uh, today we're continuing our series that loosely termed the the front of the prayer book. Um, Kind of, kind of basic, um, uh, b- basic teachings of the church. Uh, last time we talked about the the precepts of the church. Um, today we are going to be uh, start by discussing um, uh, nine ways of being an accessory to another's sin. So, Deacon Patrick, can you kind of lay the groundwork uh, for us on this? Yeah, we need to, and this is a great thing for us to understand in this time when uh, it seems like things that the church stands for aren't always being upheld by all of her shepherds. Um, and society tends to to focus on warm and fluffy uh, if they focus on something. And so I want to set the stage by another category of things in the first pages of the prayer book, which is the last four things to the four last things to be remembered, which means we should pay attention to them all through our lives so that <laughs> at the end, before we die, we can remember them. Uh, and that those four are death, judgment, hell, all of which are uncomfortable thoughts and should be. And uh, they're the source. If the existence of death, judgment, and hell causes us to fear the Lord. And that's a good, holy fear. That's the only good and holy fear there is, fear of the Lord, so that we might come to hope in Christ's salvation in achieving heaven, uh, in being granted uh, heaven through Christ's salvation, that heaven being the fourth thing. And the spirit of Vatican II, which, as we've talked about in previous episodes, differs uh, antithetically from, uh, completely from uh, the documents of Vatican II, um, seems to have deleted the first three, death, judgment, and hell, and just has us focusing on the light and fluffy, um, cuddly Jesus and heaven. But without those first three, there's no context or meaning for heaven, and heaven can't exist without the other three. And that's a long conversation that we can have as to how and why. But God's wonderful wisdom makes it clear uh that that there has to be um a place separate from god 
for Satan and those who follow him to go that's separate from God because uh, utterly separated from God because otherwise there can't be heaven. Um, so that sets the stage for what are called imprecatory um, thoughts, imprecatory ideas. Uh, and some, some of the writings after Vatican II describe these as psychologically difficult. And uh, we really need to scratch our heads and wonder about, <laughs> about some of these because from the uh, Liturgy of the Hours, they've removed praying some of the Psalms because they're imprecatory. They're psychologically difficult. Um, they look like they're praying for the demise and the damnation of other people. And the reality is they're not. St. Thomas Aquinas has us, gives us three ways to understand imprecatory verses. And the first one is that it's a prediction that there is a heaven, there is a hell, there is a judgment. And when we die, based on our choices, we put ourselves into one of either heaven or hell. Uh, and God enforces that through his judgment. Um, the second way to understand these is that they're a reference to justice of punishment, that, that punishment is just and deserved, and it's not wrong to rejoice that justice is served, because that's part of what makes heaven possible. And then third, that it's an allegory. The enemy being defeated, being cast into hell, is sin, is evil. And um, that we want to get that out of us, our inner sinner, we want that cleansed. All of this sets the stage then for uh, the nine ways of being an accessory to another sin, which is an uncomfortable topic. It has an imprecatory nature. Um, so Doug, how would you explain the, the shepherding aspects of this list and, and how we're called to, um, use it? Well, not having the list in front of me, I might defer this one to, uh, Veronica, but at the 10,000 foot or Alpha Centauri level, um, we're called to avoid being accessories uh, in any <laughs> sin, uh, let alone criminal actions. Uh, as a lawyer, we also don't want to be accessories before or after the fact. <laughs> well, yeah, so so I will go, I'll jump in here and read read them. Um, You're going to let Doug off the hook that easily? <laughs> <laughs> Am I'm trying, I participating I'm trying to as save, an accessory to, to sin, or are you? <laughs> I, I'm still looking up the definition of imprecatory. <laughs> so so um, according to this um, prayer book called Blessed Be God, the nine ways of being an accessory to another sin are by counsel, by command, by consent, by provocation, by praise or flattery, by concealment, by partaking, by silence, or by defense of the ill done. So I, you know, as I'm, uh, as I was reading this, one thing that um, uh, occurred to me 
uh, is, and maybe it's a super obvious example, but, um, you know, the, uh, the uh, German soldiers in, in World War II who, you know, were kind of manning the concentration camps and, um, you know, they're, they're, the, the, uh, in some cases after the fact that their, their defense was, well, we were just, you know, following orders. Um, and I think based on this list, what we can, you know, infer from that is that it's not it, just saying that we were following somebody else's order and doing wrong doesn't, um, doesn't get rid of our culpability, you know, um, now I, I, I will say that, um, uh, I, you know, we just, we just, uh, went through, we, we just, uh, had the Bishop's Respect Life Dinner and, um, you know, there's a, there's always a lot of discussion about, um, you know, what causes women to have an abortion, for example, now, I, I think I think the church um, definitely recognizes that in some cases, the, those women essentially are forced that, uh, against their will that there is no consent there um, really uh, to an to an abortion, especially if they're you know very young. I mean, we know that this sometimes happens to girls as young as you know eleven or twelve, tragically. Um, but uh, in general, you know, if we um, are um, adults that with like full mental capacity and and um, a, a conscience, then we can't we can't excuse ourselves from participating by just saying that you know my boss told me to do it or I I was was forced to do it some, something along those lines. And jumping back up to the 10,000 foot level, I mean, clearly you can, you, you are an accessory to someone's sin if you partake in the sin with them. Uh, and a lot of the uh, moral, sexual morality type sins, um, you know, that, that old saying that it takes two to tango. Um, but if you look at the others, there, there's a grouping of them that are sort of accessories before the fact, before the sinful act. If you counsel somebody to sin, if you command them or um, give them consent or provoke them, that was that was an interesting one to me, by provocation causing someone to sin. And then there's a group that are sort of after the fact, by concealing, by silence, or by defense of the ill done, that would be either helping to ease someone or, or wrongly thinking that you're easing somebody's guilt or... Um, uh, sense of wrongdoing by um, condoning it after the fact. And with the soldiers there in, in Germany, Veronica, that you referenced, uh, there was a lot of that before and after um, cooperation with sin. Well, and by counsel, getting to the one of the, the very first one that's named, um, you're right, Doug, they, they, they name them in order in which they ha occur or could occur in relation to the actual sin itself. Um, and so by counsel, I'm, I'm struck by the thought of um, how post Vatican II, the spirit of Vatican II 
often finds priests, uh, deacons, uh, others ministering to to uh, couples, uh, saying that's not a sin if it's done this way, or uh, it's okay if you're divorced and um, don't have an annulment to uh, come up for communion if you're um, if you're in a new relationship that's active. Uh, there's the whole thing of well, there are circumstances where uh, doing something that's clearly against church teaching are that's okay. There's there's a whole lot of new gray area that magically appears after Vatican II in the name of spirit of Vatican II that really isn't gray at all. And it's instead we should be challenging ourselves and our shepherds when we hear such advice, such counsel of no, here's what Christ's full revelation is. Um, and we as the church and we as the sheep of the church are called to uphold Christ's teaching also, uh, not just her uh, shepherds higher in the hierarchy. Yeah, I, I mean, um, reading this list, you're definitely struck by how um, the the responsibility that anyone who's in a leader leadership position has, whether they be a layperson, you know, or clergy, um, to really um, be or well even educated. two friends talking. I mean, right, you know, right, sure. Halo. <laughs> sure, sure, right. It, yeah, no, I mean that that's definitely true. I mean, it would be. It would be awful. You don't have if to I... be a Nazi in order to, <laughs> to fall into these. <laughs> right, right. No, but but you know, like to really check our facts um, before we, you know, give give anybody advice. Um, and obviously, you know, if we if we make a, a mistake, you know, if we find out later that we told some uh, advice someone wrongly due to our own, you know, due to a mistake or our own ignorance or weakness or whatever, then um, we want to, you know, still go back and rectify, you know, and say, hey, um, Susie, you know, you when you asked me about that, that issue, I, I didn't know X, Y, and Z or whatever, you know, but, um, but also too, it, it yeah, I mean, you, you know, as, especially as, um, again, like if we're in a, I mean, it, it makes me, uh, I, I suppose, do an examination of conscience, you know, just being somebody who works in the media, you know, that, um, boy, I, re I, 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 def I definitely can't speak off the cuff um, about anything that, you know, has to do with morality. I have to make sure I do my research first. So, um, yeah, I, I mean, and, and, you know, the other thing too, of course, is, um, you know, the other thing that comes to mind reading this list, uh, honestly, is, you know, the, the, uh, clergy sexual abuse crisis. Um, you know, what we're seeing now, the fallout of is, um, uh, bishops and not just bishops, uh, but uh, bishops and others who 
um, maybe we're accessories by concealment. Um, and, and so, uh, you know, Pope, Pope Francis, um, obviously he's, he's, you know, tried to introduce some new policies to, um, make that, uh, less likely to happen. Uh, whether or not they've been successful, I suppose, is is up for debate. But um, in other words, you know, even if a bishop didn't do anything to to cause or enable the the abuse, but by covering it up, it's it's kind of um, it's you know it's interesting to see that that is still in a way could be considered being an accessory to another sin. It's kind of sobering. <laughs> And, and hence why these are imprecatory adjacent <laughs> because they, they are so sobering. And, and that's a great segue into the, uh, the next category here, uh, as, as Doug has pointed out, we're great at lists. <laughs> so the, the, the next list is sins against the Holy spirit. Um, and overall sins against the Holy spirit, fit into, um, I'll just read uh, the Catholic Catechism, 1864. Whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. <clears throat> and that's from uh, Mark 3.29. There are no limits to the mercy of God. But anyone who deliberately refuses to accept his mercy by repenting rejects the forgiveness of his sins and the salvation offered by the Holy Spirit. Such hardness of heart can lead to final impenitence and eternal loss. And so getting to the point of uh, Pope Francis's question, do you desire heaven over everything else? Uh, we need to keep all of these concepts in our, in our heart and form ourselves. Um, and so that's where this list of sins against the Holy Spirit comes in. And the context being, okay, whenever we realize a new, oh, wait, that's as we form ourselves in our faith, our calibration for sin, understanding what is sin and what isn't increases. And we start to realize oh, that was a sin in the past. And we're not guilty of that sin when we don't know it's a sin. But from here forward, now we know. And Christ gives us the strength of will to overcome that temptation. That's one of the graces that grows. And that's what makes uh, the living saints who are saints when they're here on earth uh, possible because they, they build that will so strong. Um, and so Veronica, do you want to go through and, and list what those are? Yes. So the sins against the Holy ghost are presumption of God's mercy, despair, impugning the known truth, envy at another spiritual good, obstinacy in sin and final impenitence. And final but, impenitence is the one that, you know, is that, uh, blasphemy against the Holy spirit. That's what's referred to in uh, Mark 3.29. Well, and um, one thing that jumps out at me at reading this list, I've, I've uh, read in several places, um, 
you know, pre presumption and despair oftentimes end up being kind of like two sides of the same card. Um, uh, what can happen, not, not always, but what can happen is um, a person, you know, for whatever reason ends up being kind of presumptuous and they don't really think that um, they're maybe venial sins, you know, are, are a big deal. Um, they don't worry too much about trying to, um, you know, improve in that area. Um, and it, it, unfortunately, it produces kind of a snowball effect until they are um, kind of are committing bigger and bigger sins. And then, you know, kind of the bottom falls out in one way or another, which which leads them to despair. And um, so, you know, on the on the face of it, we can we can look at despair and think, well, how can that um, how can that be uh, a sin against the Holy Spirit? But it, it it seems like it usually kind of follows uh, as part of a pattern where um, the the person first of all is is very um, I guess maybe you know just a lack of humility, not really thinking that um, their own sins are as bad as those of others, you know, that kind of thing. And um, it just ends Thank up. Thank heaven I'm not like this guy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, right. It, well, I, yeah, exactly. I'm not so bad compared to so-and-so. And, um, uh, you know, and, and one of the, the things that we learn um, pretty quickly if we, read any of the spiritual masters is that no god actually does want us to struggle in those areas that seem really small um to maybe the outside world you know whether it be um you know even in things like you know punctuality um uh uh you know um temperance and, and different things so so uh yeah i i mean it um and then, of course, envy at another spiritual good. I mean, that certainly seems like it's an easy thing to fall into, you know, as well. <laughs> um. <laughs> I've, I've got to share. A... <laughs> so a few days ago was uh, All Saints Day. And <laughs> our, our, uh, one of our daughters didn't want to eat one of her least favorite foods at breakfast. So she was saying, it's a feast day. We should have whatever she was proposing. <laughs> and I said, well, are you a saint yet? No. What do you have to celebrate? <laughs> <laughs> and eventually, after getting some help from some other sisters, she was able to say, well, uh, yeah, I, I celebrate that they have what we're praying we may one day have. And so the, the envy at another spiritual good, these all have a flip side. And the flip side of that one is we celebrate when people gain holiness. This isn't a zero-sum game where there's only a dollar on the table and if there's 200 people, 100 people are losing out. This is God's infinite mercy is infinite. There's enough for everyone and then some. Um, right. And, and we can, um, and if we struggle in something that 
in an area that other people find easily, there's, there's just so much more, um, you could maybe even say merit, you know, when we finally are able to, to do that thing. Um, oh, you know, that's how I'm deaf, blind, dumb, and stupid. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think about, um, you know, sometimes, uh, like, you know, for me, for example, I, I don't, find it particularly difficult to get up in the morning. That's not to say there aren't some mornings where I don't want to, but in general, it's not a huge struggle for me. So, I mean, it wouldn't necessarily be right for me to, you know, pat myself on the back about that, you know, but I'm so envious other, of you. <laughs> but on the other hand, you know, if you have somebody who it really is, you can see, oh my gosh, like this is hard for them. They are suffering but yet they get out of bed when that alarm goes off. You think, okay, this is, and, and if they go one extra step of, you know, offering that up for the whole souls in purgatory or, or some other intention, there's, there's really a lot of merit to be gained there, you know? So, um, I mean, I, I think, uh, you know, comparison is, is one of those traps that we fall into so easily, but, um, like you said, Deacon Patrick, so beautifully, I, I love that idea of like, there's no, this isn't a zero sum game or a pie that's just divided up, you know, there, there's this infinite um, font of grace that we can all kind of draw from and we do, uh, you know, lift each other up. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a great thought. I also too, in line with All Souls Day, um, a couple of things um, came to mind, uh, Father, um, Father Jim Barron was saying mass for us here at the Pastoral Center. And, you know, one of the things that he brought up, I think it's very much in line with our discussion, is that, you know, thank goodness the church has really gotten away from um, eulogizing people at funerals. Um, we They've really kind of done everything the church has you know done what it can to really discourage that um practice and really focus more on praying for the soul of the deceased um and not canonizing them or pre-canonizing them um because we just we just don't know um i i mean obviously we have a lot of confidence in the sacraments of um you know, anointing of the sick and that kind of thing. But, um, you know, we never want to presume that anyone's in heaven until the church actually declares it. So I, you know, and then another thing that comes to mind is uh, something that St. Jose Maria Escrivá used to say. And um, going back to what you mentioned, Deacon Patrick, it's a little bit uncomfortable, but if we if we make a daily habit of picturing what we're going to look like uh, after our death and, you know, in our casket, um, it can really it can really kind of help us bring, bring us back down to earth and keep us humble and and maybe also, you know, um, help us fight against the temptation to, to sin um, when we really consider every day that uh, that that there is going to come that moment for us. And a, um, a practice of mystics is to keep a bone, often a skull, um, 
in their work area at their desk. And, uh, I have a deer bone that, that reminds me of death, um, that I keep here. And, uh, it's when I see the despair in the list of sins against the Holy ghost, um, one, it's, it's a betrayal of trust in God. If I despair, it's a decision to not trust God. It may not feel like a decision, but God gave us intellect and will so that we can make these decisions over our emotions. Um, we shouldn't be run and controlled by our emotions. That's an, one of the foundations of, of uh, what the saints help us with uh, in how, how are we called to be manful in exercising our faith. Um, and so the sin of despair begins, as you alluded to, Veronica, very early on before despair actually hits. Um, and that a slow erosion, uh, that where each sin makes us more deaf, blind, dumb, and stupid until <laughs> it we're stuck in a pit. Um, but that, that reminder of death to the mystics is that reminder of there is a final judgment. There is a hell and there is a heaven. And <laughs> which one do I want? when when death comes to me um and how do i choose to accept christ and follow that because it isn't automatic we have to choose it isn't just heaven that the church preaches it's all four of those well unfortunately we're out of time for uh, our discussion today uh but before we have our closing prayer. I just want to remind everybody that um, you can find this episode and all past episodes of Catholic Halos on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, and a number of other platforms. So feel free to uh, check us out there. Um, Deacon Doug, would you lead us in a closing prayer? Certainly. Ave Maria, gratia plena, Dominus tecum, Benedicta tu in mulieribus, et benedictus fructus ventris tui Jesus. Sancta Maria, Mater Dei, ora pro nobis peccatoribus, nunc in anora mortis nostre. Amen. Thanks everyone for joining us for this episode of the Catholic Halos podcast. <laughs>